Well, welcome, my friends, to The Catholic Reason, a radio show produced by St. Michael Catholic Radio, where we explain the whys behind Catholic beliefs concerning issues of faith, morality, and culture. My name is Carlo Brusor, the host for this show. I'm a staff apologist and speaker for Catholic Answers at Catholic.com and a member of the Chancery Evangelization Team of the Diocese of Tulsa and Eastern Oklahoma. Every Thursday at 4 p.m., I come to you to invite you to think with me through various claims made by the Catholic Church and looking at the reasons behind those claims. Uh, The show is podcasted. You can download and listen to the show anytime you want. You can get the podcast version of the show by searching The Catholic Reason in any podcast search engine. And in this episode, we're going to look at reasons behind the Catholic claim that Peter is the rock of the church there in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. And this relates to the more general claim that the Catholic Church is the original Christian church established by Jesus. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Thank you for joining me, and hopefully you'll find it enjoyable and enlightening, whether you agree or disagree. And so let's start with the claim that the Catholic Church is the original Christian franchise. This claim is based on the idea that the Bishop of Rome, the Pope, is the successor to St. Peter as the head of the Church, the visible principle and source of unity for the Church. This is what the Catechism of the Catholic Church explains in paragraph 882. And I'd like to start with this quote. Quote, The Pope, Bishop of Rome, and Peter's successor is the perpetual invisible source and foundation of the unity both of the bishops and of the whole company of the faithful. For the Roman pontiff, by reason of his office as vicar of Christ and as pastor of the entire church, has full, supreme, and universal power over the whole church, a power which can always be exercised unhindered. So that's the claim. Now, there's a several major assumptions that are made behind this claim from the Catechism in paragraph 882. One of them is that Jesus constituted Peter as the head of the church, the visible source and foundation of unity, both for the College of the Apostles and the whole kingdom of God. The Pope is that visible source and foundation of unity, so the Catholic claim goes, only because Peter was the visible source and foundation of unity, both for the College of the Apostles and the whole kingdom of God. So the Catholic claim that the Catholic Church, the original church established by Jesus, is based on the claim that the Bishop of Rome is the successor to St. Peter as the visible source and foundation of unity. So the question becomes, what is the evidence that Peter was constituted by Christ to be this visible source and foundation of unity, both for the College of the Apostles and the whole kingdom of God? Well, there are several pieces of evidence that we could marshal or appeal to to support this claim. 
I'm going to focus on one in today's show. And the key text is Matthew chapter 16, verses 15 through 19. Now, for other kinds of evidence, other passages that we would appeal to for the papacy, we're going to look at those passages in future shows as we come back to this topic again and again. But just for a resource's sake, you can check out my colleague and good friend Joe Heschmeyer's book, Pope Peter, and you can get that at shop. .catholic.com, Joe Heschmeyer in that book goes through the biblical evidence for St. Peter being constituted by Christ to be the leader of his church, the foundation of his church, that visible principle, source, and foundation of unity. But in today's show, we're going to zero in on Matthew chapter 16, verses 15 through 19, and in particular, one detail. So here's what we read in the passage. Jesus says to the apostles, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the powers of death shall not prevail against it. I will give to you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now, there are several details in this one passage that we could appeal to as evidence for Peter being constituted by Christ to be the visible uh, source and foundation of unity for the apostles and the whole church at large. So, for example, we could appeal to the fact that Peter is given the keys of the kingdom of heaven. We could appeal to the fact that he is given the command to bind and loose on earth apart from the other apostles, signifying that he is the supreme binder and looser on earth. But the one detail that we're going to focus on here in today's show is the fact that, or at least we would claim, that Peter is made the rock of the church. When Jesus says, you're Peter, and on this rock... I will build my church, and the powers of death shall not prevail against it. That one detail, that Peter is the rock, is what we're going to zero in on. And here's the argument. If Peter is the visible foundation of Christ's church, that is to say, if he is the rock, well then he's the leader of Christ's church here on earth. Why? Well, because he is that visible source and foundation of unity. He is that identifying marker for the true church of Christ because wherever the foundation is, there is the church of Christ. To make him the rock or the foundation of his church would be to make Peter the leader of his church. I think that's pretty clear to see. Now, we're going to argue Peter is the visible foundation of Christ's church on this earth. In other words, he is the metaphorical rock that Christ speaks of upon which he promises to build his church. And so, therefore, our conclusion is that Peter is the leader of Christ's church. Now, what are the reasons to believe that Peter is the rock? So, that's the claim that we're going to look at, and we're going to give some Catholic reasons for it. Let's see here. I have uh, seven reasons that I'm going to give for believing that Jesus is the rock. 
Now, this has been written on by lots and lots and lots and lots of Catholic apologists. We have several articles online for free that you can access at Catholic.com. My colleague and good friend at Catholic Answers, Tim Staples, has written some articles on this. Uh, we have other contributors who have written on this topic as well. A lot of ink has been spilt on this topic. But I just want to synthesize everything that's been out there for you, the listener, so that you can have a nice uh, package summary or synthesis of this of these reasons for why we think Peter is the metaphorical rock in Matthew 16, 18. Reason number one, Peter is the closest referent for the demonstrative this in the phrase, and upon this rock. The, demonstra the demonstrative this, right? This implies an antecedent. Well, so the question becomes, well, what's the closest antecedent for the this? Well, a natural reading of the text is Peter, right? Peter is the closest reference to the demonstrative this. And this is even further supported when we consider the conjunction and in Greek chi, which connects the second clause upon this rock to the main clause. I say to you, you are Peter, or his Greek name there, Petros. So the conjunction and is connecting the two clauses. And so therefore, it would be reasonable to conclude that the rock in the second clause would refer to the closest referent in the first clause, namely or refer to the only referent in the first clause, and that would be Peter. We see elsewhere in Scripture where the demonstrative this is used in reference to the most immediate referent in the context, and that immediate referent being a person. So check out Acts chapter 4, verses 10 through 11. Here's what Peter says of Jesus. Be it known to you all, and to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, but which has become the head of the corner. So notice, the demonstrative this implies an antecedent. Who's the closest? What's the closest antecedent to the demonstrative this? It's Jesus Christ of Nazareth. It's a person. And so, like in Acts 4, 10 through 11, where the demonstrative this refers to the closest antecedent referent, which is a person, Jesus Christ, so too, the demonstrative this, in Matthew 16, 18, refers to the closest referent, which is a person, namely Peter. And the reason why I emphasize a referent being the person is because some Protestants will object that the demonstrative this indicates that it's not referring to a person and must be referring to something other than a person, like Peter's confession of faith or something. We'll get to this sort of challenge in, in future shows, a couple of shows down the road, or maybe next week. We'll see how it works out. Uh, but that's why I emphasize that the demonstrative this is re can refer to an the closest antecedent referent being a person, as indicated in Acts 4, 10 through 11. So that's the first reason Peter's the closest referent for the demonstrative this in the phrase upon this rock. Generally, the claim that the Catholic Church is the original church established by Jesus Christ, and the more uh, refined or restricted claim, or I guess the assumed claim that that claim rests on, 
the claim that Christ instituted Peter or constituted Peter as the leader of his church, a visible source and foundation of unity for the apostles themselves and the whole company of the faithful of God. That's the specific claim that we're looking at in this show today, in this episode of The Catholic Reason. And we started to give some reasons behind that claim, the claim that Peter is the metaphorical rock upon which Christ builds his church in Matthew 16, 18. And the first reason that we gave was that Peter is the closest referent for the demonstrative this in our Lord's phrase and upon this rock. Now, a second reason for thinking that Peter is the metaphorical rock is that the focus of the entire context is on Peter. So consider that in response to Peter's profession that Jesus is the Messiah and Son of God there in verse 16, the second person pronoun, singular you, is used seven times in three verses, all of which are directed to Peter. So, for example, and Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon bore Jonah, there in the first part of verse 17. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven, in the second half of verse 17. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, verse 18. Then in verse 9, the first part of verse 19, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And then in the second part of verse 19, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And then in the third part of verse 19, whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. That's the second person pronoun, second personal pronoun singular you used seven times in three verses, and all of them are directed to Peter. So needless to say, it would be strained and unnatural. It would be a strained and unnatural exegesis to say the rock is not Peter when everything in the immediately preceding and subsequent context is directed to Peter. I like how my colleague and Joe, uh, friend Joe Heschmeyer puts it. He sums it up nicely in one of his responses on Catholic Answers Live. He said this, in other words, these things happen in this order. First of all, Peter confesses Jesus as the Christ. Then Jesus confesses Simon as Peter. Then he says that he's going to build the church on the rock. And then he personalizes it even more by giving the binding and loosing authority specifically to Peter and giving him the keys to the kingdom of heaven. So all of that is very explicitly to Peter. And then Joe concludes, the idea that halfway in the middle of that, he suddenly switches from talking to Peter to talking about something else without any clear signal that he's switching the target of the blessing, this is forced in an unnatural exegesis. I think Joe does a great job there summing things up. To say that the metaphorical rock is not Peter would be to say that Christ shifted the focus of the blessing to something else other than Peter without any clear signal. This would lead every reader into confusion because the natural flow of the text is that whatever is being said is all directed to St. Peter. And the claim of the rock, the phrase including the rock upon which Christ promises to build his church, is one item among many within item within that list of items directed at Peter. So the natural reading is that the metaphorical rock is Peter. 
If Christ were referring to something else, that would be a shift without clear indication, which would lead the reader into confusion. But surely we don't want to say that Christ is an incompetent teacher in leading the listener and the reader into confusion, right? And so, lest we say this, is, lest we want to us, um, conclude, lest we want to employ a strained and unnatural exegesis, right? We ought not to reject Peter as the metaphorical rock of Christ's church. Okay, so that's the second reason. The focus of the entire context is on Peter, and that gives us reason to conclude Peter is the metaphorical rock. The third reason is that the structure of the passage reveals that the metaphorical rock refers to Peter, the very structure itself. And this is taken from my other colleague and good friend at Catholic Answers, Jimmy Aiken. Uh, He articulates this structure in several different uh, resources of his, one in particular uh, being uh, his article, Peter the Rock, all the way back in 1998 at Catholic.com. He articulates this structure which sheds light upon how we ought to exegete the text. And the idea is that if we look at the context in which verse 18 is embedded, and that context being verses 17 through 19, we notice a structure of three essential declarations that Jesus makes concerning Peter, each of which is followed by a longer explanation that unpacks the declaration made. So, for example, in the first half of 17, we read our Lord say, Blessed are you, Simon Borjona. Okay, now, the second and third part of verse 17, we have an unpacking of that initial declaration. So the initial declaration, blessed are you, Simon Borjona, and then our Lord unpacks that. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Then we come to a second essential declaration. And I tell you, you are Peter, in the first half of verse 18. And then, following form, our Lord begins to unpack that declaration when he says, uh, there in the first and second and third part of verse 18, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Then we come to a third essential declaration I will give to you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, there in the first half. Verse first part of verse 19, and then our Lord begins to unpack that third essential declaration in the second and third parts of verse 19. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. That third essential declaration and the two subsequent statements is very clear for us as to how our the, the structure that our Lord is employing here. So notice he gives Peter the keys, and then he describes what those keys will enable him to do. So there's, that's very clear as to how we have this structure of an essential declaration and then an unpacking of that declaration. And the same is with regard to, I tell you, you are Peter, and then seemingly an unpacking. Upon this rock, I build my church, gates of hell would not prevail against it. That's all a package there, the declaration and the unpacking of the declaration. And then it's very clear in the first one, you are Simon, uh, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Why? Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, the Father in heaven. 
So we have three clear essential declarations and subsequent statements to unpack each of those declarations. Now, given the structure, it becomes clear that the phrase, and on this rock, must refer to Peter. Why would every other statement that Jesus makes explain his main declaration to Peter, except for that one? Right? So consider the objection that Peter is not the rock. If Peter is not the rock, then you have this one statement, and on this rock I will build my church, that does not refer to the essential declaration, whereas all the others do. So in 17, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, and then the two subsequent statements refers to that essential declaration concerning Peter. In the third essential declaration, you have, I will give to you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and the two subsequent statements referring to that essential declaration, which refers to Peter. In the second declaration, I tell you, you are Peter. We have the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. That has to refer to the essential declaration. I tell you, you are Peter. And so too, when he says on this rock, I will build my church, that must refer to the essential declaration. I tell you, you are Peter there in the first part of verse 18. So to suggest that the phrase on this rock does not refer to Peter is to introduce something into the context that does not fit, which is not good exegesis. And so in light of this structure of the threefold declaration to Peter and the subsequent statements that unpack each of those three essential declarations, it becomes clear that the phrase on this rock refers to Peter. I tell you, you are Peter. So I think Jimmy Aiken has done a great service for us in articulating this threefold structure and shedding light on the fact that Peter is indeed the metaphorical rock upon which Christ builds his church. And if the rock, well then the very identifying marker of the true church of Christ, a visible source and foundation of unity for the apostles and the whole church, and ultimately the leader of Christ's church. And one clue or evidence for that claim that Christ constituted Peter as the leader of his church is that Peter is the metaphorical rock upon which Christ promises to build his church in Matthew 16, 18. So we've been looking at reasons for that specific claim, that Peter is the rock. Our first reason was that Peter is the closest referent for the demonstrative this in the phrase and upon this rock. Secondly, the focus of the entire context is on Peter. And then the third reason, which we were looking at before our last break, is the structure of the passage itself reveals that the metaphorical rock refers to Peter, looking at those three essential declarations that are unpacked by two subsequent statements after each of those three essential declarations. And to suggest that Peter is not the metaphorical rock would be to introduce something into the context that just simply does not fit, which is not good exegesis. Now, right before the break, I had mentioned that the fourth reason to believe that Peter is the rock is that Simon's new name means rock. And I constructed the argument, premise one, if Simon's new name is rock, well then common sense says he's the metaphorical rock. Premise two, Simon's new name is rock. Therefore, common sense says he's the metaphorical rock. I mean, the idea here is that, listen, if Simon's new name means rock, 
and Jesus speaks of a metaphorical rock right after he says Simon's new name is rock, well, then common sense would lead us to the conclusion that Peter is that metaphorical rock. Otherwise, why change his name, right? So, uh, let's look at the evidence that Simon's name knew rock. Simon's new name is rock. Now, his new name in Greek is Petros. And according to the most famous and most respected and uh, credible Greek-English lexicon of the New Testament, entitled A Greek-English Lexicon of the New Testament Early Other Early Christian Literature, also commonly known as BDAGs, the initials of the, the, the first letter of the last name of the editors for this work. In that lexicon, in the entry for Petros, which is Simon's new name in Greek, it's, it says that it means stone, which is just a synonym for rock. And it goes on to say that from the beginning, it was probably thought of as the Greek equivalent of the Aramaic kephas. And then it cross-references John chapter 1, verse 42. In John 1, 42, our Lord says, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas which means Peter, John tells us. And the Greek word there for Peter is Petros. And so notice that now if you look up Cephas in the entry for a Greek-English lexicon of the New Testament in BDAG, for Cephas or Kephas, it states that Kephas means rock. And it goes on to state, or Cephas, an Aramaic surname of Simon. The Greek form of the surname is Petros. And that fits with what John tells us in John 1.42. You shall be called Cephas, or Kephas, which means Petros. So Petros is the Greek form of the surname Kephas. And what does Kephas mean? According to BDAG, it means rock. Now, Cephas, which is the uh, which was, which you read in the English translation of John 1.42 and elsewhere, is the Greek transliteration of the Greekized Aramaic Kephas. So the bottom line here is that according to BDAG, Petros in Greek means what Kephas means in Aramaic, rock. And so that's evidence that Simon's new name, Petros, means rock. Now, Protestant theologians affirm that Petros means rock as well. So take, for, for example, Lutheran theologian Oscar Coleman. In his Theological Dictionary of the New Testament, page 98, he writes, Petra, that's the Greek word for the metaphorical rock, upon which Christ promises to build his church in Matthew 16, 18. There are two different Greek words used. Simon's new name, Petros, which is the masculine noun for rock, and then Petra, which is the feminine noun for rock. Coleman writes, Petra equals Kepha equals Petros. They all mean the same thing, according to Oscar Coleman, which is rock. Dr. Oscar Coleman also, in his article on rock in Gerard Kittle's Theological Dictionary of the New Testament, goes on to write the following. The obvious pun, which has made its way into the Greek text, suggests a material identity between Petra and Petros as it's impossible to differentiate strictly between the two words. Petros himself is this Petra, not just his faith or his confession. The idea of the Reformers that he is referring to the faith of Peter is quite inconceivable. 
for there is no reference here to the faith of Peter. Rather, the parallelism of thou art rock and on this rock I will build shows that the second rock can only be the same as the first. It's thus evident that Jesus is referring to Peter, to whom he has given the name rock. To this extent, Roman Catholic exegesis is right, and all Protestant attempts to evade this interpretation are to be rejected. Again, that's in his article, Rock in Theological Dictionary of the New Testament. Craig Keener, a famous New Testament scholar, Protestant scholar, writes as follows in his book, The Gospel of Matthew, a socio-rhetorical commentary. Jesus plays on Simon's nickname, Peter, which is roughly the English Rocky. Yo, Adrian! Sorry, just had to throw that out there, right? <laughs> Peter is Rocky, and on this rock, Jesus would build his church. Okay, so, um, you know, Simon's new name is Rock. And why does Jesus change Simon's new name to Rock? Well, according to these Protestant theologians, because he is to be the metaphorical rock upon which Christ would build his church. D.A. Corson, famous New Testament scholar in the Expositor's Bible Commentary, writes the following, The underlying Aramaic is in this case unquestionable, and most probably kefa was used in both clauses, you or kefa, and on this kefa, since the word was used both for a name and for a rock. The Peshitta, written in Syriac, a language cognate with a dialect of Aramaic, makes no distinction between the words in the two clauses. Uh, Dr. Carson also, in the Gospel according to John on page 156, writes, Doubtless in Aramaic the expression was kefa, a word meaning rock. And of course, this maps on with what we were saying earlier from BDAG, that, ke that Petros is the Greek form of the surname kephas, which is the Aramaic word, for rock. Kephas means rock. So according to Carson, he's saying that in the original language that our Lord spoke, he would have likely said, you are kepha, and upon this kepha, or kephas and kephas, upon this kephas, I will build my church, where there is no distinction of words. And so it becomes even clearer that the second rock, the metaphorical rock upon which Christ promises to build his church, is Peter because his name means rock. There would, it would have been clearer in our Lord's original language. That's at least according to D.A. Corson. Now, W.F. Albright, an eminent Protestant scholar and internationally regarded as the dean of biblical studies, um, in his The Anchor Bible for the Gospel of Matthew, writes the following, "'There's no evidence of Peter or Kephas as a name before Christian times.'" Peter as rock will be the foundation of the future community. One must dismiss any attempt to see this rock as meaning the faith or the messianic confession of Peter. Now, we've come across that uh, several different times already among these theologians, and what's behind this is the common claim that the rock refers to Peter's confession as a way to get around the claim that Peter is the metaphorical rock upon which Christ will build his church. We'll look at that objection in more, in more detail, in a closer way, whenever we have an episode or show on challenges to this claim as Peter the Rock. We're going to start looking at some of those challenges next week. 
in our show. Uh, so this that's a little sneak peek of what's to come. And that's what these Protestant theologians are getting at when they're saying, hey, you know, it's not the confession of Peter, it's Peter, he is the rock. That's what they're referring to. They have that objection in mind that they're uh, uh, dealing with. And finally, uh, David Heal, he's a Presbyterian minister and senior lecturer of biblical studies. Uh, in his, the Gospel of Matthew, which is part of the New Century Bible Commentary, Heal writes the following, It is on Peter himself that Jesus will build his church. Attempts to interpret as something other than Peter in person is due to Protestant bias. And so we have here one, two, three, four, five different Protestant theologians, and there are many others as well, for time's sake I can only refer to these five, who affirm that Peter is the rock, that Petros, Simon's new name in Greek, means rock. So that upon is seen is true. We, we, I referenced several Protestant theologians who acknowledge the pun there and that Simon's new name means rock for the sake of having the pun with the metaphorical rock upon which Christ would build his church. Oscar Coleman was one example where he says it's an obvious pun in his article on the rock in Theological Dictionary of the New Testament. Now, there are a couple of arguments here that I would like to share with you. Uh, and that is, uh, one, one, one is an argument for it's, that the pun is meaningful, and another is an argument that the pun is intentional. And I think once we go through these arguments, we'll see that given the obvious nature of the pun, that it's meaningful and intentional, well, then we can conclude yet again, that Peter is the rock. So here's the argument for the pun being meaningful. Consider that if Peter were not the rock, well, then the obvious pun would become meaningless, right? There's no point in a pun if the two words don't refer to each other. But it seems unreasonable to say that the obvious pun would be meaningless or pointless, and so, therefore, we could conclude, we can conclude that Peter is the rock. So, lest we say that the pun is meaningless, futile, or pointless, we must reject this idea that Peter is not the rock, and thereby conclude that Peter is the rock. Now, with regard to the argument for the intentionality of the pun— Similarly, as what we've said already, consider this. If Peter were not the, riot, the rock, well, then the pun would not be intended. And if the pun were not intended, well, then it would be accidental. But it doesn't seem that the pun is accidental. Why? Because it's so obvious. You are a rock, and upon this rock I will build my church. Simon, your name is Petros, which means rock, and upon this rock I will build my church. It's an obvious pun. And how could such an obvious pun be an accident on Jesus's part? And so, since it's not accidental, and thereby since it's not, um, it is intended, we can conclude that Peter is the rock. So just in sum, if to sum her up in a, like a brief argument here, premise one, if Peter were not the rock, the pun would not be intended. Premise two, if the pun were not intended, then it would, then it would be accidental. But it doesn't seem to be accidental given its obvious nature. Therefore, we conclude Peter is the rock. Okay, 
So five reasons down, two more to go as to why we think Peter is the metaphorical rock upon which Christ promises to build his church. Reason number six, the name change doesn't match Peter's character. Therefore, it's most fitting that the purpose of the name change is to be the rock of the church. This is an argument made by Stephen D. Gradanus uh, in his article, The Petrine Fact, Part 5, at jimmyakin.org. I think he does a great job with this argument, so I'm going to share it with you and bear with me with the long quote here. He writes this, quote, Among other things, Jesus' choice of Peter's new name is in a way as paradoxical as the choice of Abraham, father of a multitude, for a childless old man. This is very different, probably, from the nickname Sons of Thunder which likely reflects an assessment of the personalities or dispositions of the sons of Zebedee, possibly as seen in Luke 9.54. He continues in the same way the surname Barnabas, son of encouragement, given to Joseph of Cyprus by the apostles in Acts 4.36, was probably indicative of his personality. It's easy to feel that Kepha, Kephas, Petros is hardly illustrative of Peter's personality in the same way. On the contrary, Peter's well-known as a man of shifting extremes, impetuous, unsteady, at turns fervent and foolish, faithful and fearful, promising the greatest fidelity, then failing most spectacularly. Anything but rock-like, Gradanus says, however nuanced or glossed the notion of rockness might be. This is not to say that Peter's personality was not a factor at all, only that in itself it doesn't seem to be a sufficient explanation. As we'll see, rock seems to be primarily indicative of Jesus' intention for the role he would give to Peter rather than any attributes Peter possessed in himself. So the idea here is, is that if Peter is not the metaphorical rock upon which Christ promises to build his church, well then Simon's new name would not be indicative of his role of being the rock of the church, but rather indicative of his personality of being rock-like. But that doesn't make sense. Given Peter's personality as explained and shown in the Gospels, he is not rock-like. It is not reasonable to conclude that his new name would be indicative of his personality. It is not sufficient. His personality is not a sufficient explanation for his new name as rock. And so therefore, as Gradanus is suggesting, we can conclude that Simon's new name must be indicative of the role that he is to play within salvation history, namely to be the metaphorical rock upon which Christ promises to build his church. Like Abraham's new name, from Abram to Abraham, is indicative of his role in salvation history to be a father of multitudes. That new name was not indicative of something of a personal quality of his as having a child because he didn't have a child. It's indicative of the role he would play within salvation history. The same is true for Peter here in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. So the bottom line reason is that the name change doesn't match Peter's character. Given that, we can conclude it's most fitting that the purpose of the name change is to be the metaphorical rock upon which Christ promises to build his church. Finally, the last reason to conclude that Peter is the metaphorical rock is that the early church affirmed that Peter was the rock. 
And I'll share with you a few samples, a sampling here of some of the early Christian theologians and early church fathers and what they had to say here. So take, for example, Tertullian, although not an early church father because he ended up as a heretic, he was a prominent early Christian theologian in his On Prescription Against Heretics. He writes Peter, who is called the rock on which the church should be built. That's right at the turn of the third century in Route 200, AD 200. Origen, similarly not classified as an early church father, but a prominent early Christian theologian. He writes in his commentaries on John, Peter upon whom is built the church of Christ. So the implication being that Peter is the rock upon which Christ promises to build his church. And then in his homilies on Exodus, he writes, the great foundation of the church, that most solid of rocks upon whom Christ built the church. And he's referring to Peter there. So both Tertullian and Origen at the turn of the third century, AD 200, affirm that Peter was the rock. Cyprian of Carthage, in his work, Unity of the Catholic Church, writes this, The Lord says to Peter, I say to you, he says that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. On him he builds the church, and to him he gives the command to feed the sheep, referencing John 21, 15-17. And although he assigns a like power to all the apostles, yet he founded a single chair, and he established by his own authority a source and an intrinsic unity. That should call to mind the words and the language of the Catechism of the Catholic Church in saying that Christ established Peter as the visible source and foundation of unity for the apostles and the whole Church of Jesus Christ, and the Bishop of Rome being that visible source and foundation of unity because the Bishop of Rome succeeds Peter as the Bishop of Rome. Cyprian goes on, Indeed, the others were that also which Peter was. But a primacy is given to Peter, whereby it's made clear that there is but one church in one chair. If someone doesn't hold fast to this unity of Peter, can he imagine that he still holds the faith? If he desert the chair of Peter upon whom the church was built, can he still be confident that he's in the church? That's in AD 250, so middle of the third century. St. Ephraim, late fourth century deacon in the Syrian church in his homilies, uh, he writes this, Simon, I have made you the foundation of the holy church. I betimes called you Peter, Kepha, or Rock, because you will support all its buildings. So there you have St. Ephraim affirming Peter as the rock. And finally, Hilary of Poitiers in the 4th century in his On the Trinity, Blessed Simon was set to be the foundation stone of the church and receive the keys of the kingdom of heaven. In his commentary on Psalm 131, Peter upon whom he was about to build the church, this St. Peter, the foundation of the church. So there you have it, my friends, seven reasons why we believe Peter is the rock. We're coming up to the end of our show here, running out of time. Again, you're listening to The Catholic Reason on St. Michael Catholic Radio. Please join me next week, next Thursday at 4 p.m. Central Time, St. Michael Catholic Radio, as we'll continue our discussion of Peter being the rock and looking at some challenges to this claim. Thanks for listening in, guys. God bless you all.